Through Their Mother's Eyes is a series of conversations with mothers who share their hearts and experiences raising black sons who, because of the color of their skin, are often feared, hated, and not valued as human beings. So, hello and welcome to Through Their Mother's Eyes, where we have real conversations with real moms of black sons. I'm Florence. And tonight we have with us my good friend, Rhonda Godfrey. And I, I'm not going to go and spoil her story by saying anything other than welcome, 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 Rhonda. Thank you so much for joining us tonight as we have this very important conversation. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. You are quite welcome. Well, let's jump right in. I. The first thing I'd like to do, like I said, I'm not going to tell everybody everything about you because that would spoil part of this. So I am going to ask you to please share with us who you are, you know, a little bit of background, the how many children you have, you're married, what you do, where where you are, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, um, like she mentioned before, my name is Rhonda Godfrey. I am married to Randall Godfrey, and we have been married for 18 years. We just celebrated our 18th anniversary um, this week. Uh, we have four amazing children. Um, our oldest, Billy, is 27. He goes by Trey. Sorry if he hears this. Uh, we have RJ Grant, and then we were blessed with the baby girl, Kendall. We live in Swanee, Georgia. Um, we're owners of a funeral home. Um, we've owned for 15 years and I'm very active. My children are very active in sports. Um, they're all over the place with sports and competitive sports. And um, we just enjoy, we've been just enjoying this quarantine time and just really getting to know each other. So hopefully that's it. We're, I'm involved in a lot of organizations, nonprofits. Um, I don't know if we want to mention those, but nonprofit organizations. But um, and I like to be a leader and involved in our children. So most of the things that we've done in the last few years have been um, really focused on um, raising our children and just um, setting values and just raising leaders and trying our best to um, give back to society. Great, thank you very much for that. And in terms of the in terms of the nonprofits and everything, I'm sure that as we talk, that will, that will come out. So what, I, you know that there's been a lot, there's been a lot going on lately. So there's, there's the pandemic, which we don't want to minimize, but you know, you mentioned that and, and that has been a huge adjustment and, and it has had a lot of impact on, on everybody around the world. Outside of that, though, everything that has recently resurfaced, and, and I say resurfaced, although for some of us it is a it is a constant, right? The challenges with racial inequality, social justice, the the killings of of black people, specifically, you know, starting with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and everything that that has kicked up, the protests, the the responses, the comments, et cetera. If you could use one word, just one word, to describe how all of that has affected you, how you feel about 
all of that, the barrage of stuff going on, what would that be? What would the one word be? I would say unsettling. Okay, so unsettling. I know I said one word, so now you get to expound on that. So how do you mean unsettling? Well, it's just, uh, you know, you never, um, and I wouldn't say fear because I don't, you know, I believe in faith over fear, but it's very unsettling to see the different opinions, the different actions, um, just that's going on in the world. You know, you can, you know, you're at one point in time, you're thinking the world is one way, you're thinking we're advanced. Um, we've made so many strides and just to see us go back to, um, go back in time into just a very um, unprecedented time, a very unhappy time. And just to, you know, just to be there is very unsettling to your soul. You know, you can't, you don't feel at peace and you kind of feel a little, you know, it's just unsettled. And it's kind of like, what does the future hold? You know, how many, you know, just like the Trey songs, how many times do we have to cry? How many times do we have to march? When will this, when will it get better? Once you thought we've made it to a certain point, you know? I do, I do. So before, so so Trey is, I, I've never called him Trey. I always call him Billy. <laughs> if you called him that now, he would not be happy. So he's, he's, <laughs> convinced to call, he's went from Billy, Bill to Trey. <laughs> so now he's, 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 well, and he's 27. I, first of all, that's just ridiculous. I can't believe that he's, yeah actually 27. I can't believe that you have a 27 year old. It's like talking, like talking to Erica about, about, um, Michael. It's, I just, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't equate because, because for everybody who's listening, Erica and Rhonda are both younger than I am and they have children who are considerably older than, than my 18 year old. So it's, 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 it's funny to me. Makes mm -hmm. me older, but Okay, so, but your first child, obviously, is, is male. So bef before you had children, though, before, you know, maybe before you got married, as you were coming up, whatever, what, how aware were you before you became the, the mother of a Black son? How aware were you of the plight, specifically of Black males in this world? Um, I would say I was somewhat aware I was I have a brother that I'm close with. So I grew up with I have an older brother, I have an older brother, um, I'm, and then a younger sister and I have a stepbrother as well. But growing up, my sisters and brothers were close. Our youngest brother came in after, you know, remarriage. But um, so I kind of knew but I always, I always knew I was a boy mother. You know, so I was always, you know, saying, oh, what, you know, until I have them, until I had them. And then I was like, oh, maybe I need a girl. But, but I, I mean, but I kind of understood just because I had an older brother and he kind of was a little rambunctious and kind of stayed in trouble a little bit. So my mom had to, you know, really be involved and kind of, um, you know, just, you know, parent him differently than he did the girls, than she did the girls just because of, you know, with having a rambunctious young black male, um, I kind of knew and we grew up in, you know, we, we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. So I kind of knew a little bit of it. So I was well aware, even if I, even though I was a young mom, I kind of aware of um, some of the, some of the setbacks that um, young black men have. So. Sorry, it took me a second to come off mute. I'm trying to mute myself so that I 
don't cut you off with any any sounds I make. So um, knowing what you know now, though, right? So you've been you've been a mom for twenty seven years. Knowing what you know now, what would you what advice would you give your younger self in terms of of what to do, what not to do, what to focus on, et cetera, as, as the mom of a, of a black son? That's a, that's an interesting question. Cause I, you know, especially during this time, when you say it's unsettling, you ask yourself, could I have done something different? Could I have done something better? And with having a 27 year old and with him graduating high school, um, going to college and actually having some run-ins with the law, um, just minor, um, think about this today with my teenagers is maybe making the children more aware earlier and maybe teaching them. Sometimes when children are younger, you know, we kind of shelter them from that and um, you don't start having these difficult conversations. And really, you know, I had a discount of friends of a different nationality uh, and, and she was like, well, do you have the talk, you know, talk, the, um, with your sons and I was like, yes, but you really don't start talking to them about this until, well, at least I didn't until they started driving and going out and, you know, um, you know, maybe being a little bit more independent away from the house, but maybe as they were younger, trying to find a positive way to make them more aware of what they might face later on. So I just say in educating them a little bit um, earlier than what I've done waiting and instead of waiting to preteens or teenage years. Um, cause sometimes I think when you grow up, like with my, with my teenage boys, they're thinking I'm being a little bit overprotective now. So they don't take me as seriously, you know, as I wish they would just because we've talked, we've had these talks a little bit later. Yeah. I, I will tell you this Rhonda, that they, regardless, you're their mother, <laughs> because I was having these conversations with my kids when they were young and I remember when we moved back to Florida, I, I, I had some of the, I just always kept, you know, things so that they were aware of certain things, not to scare them or anything, but just so that they would be aware. And then when Stacy and I divorced and it was me with them and it, I had to have all of those conversations with them. I did that. And I, and I did it, like I said, I did it early. And to this day, so Sebastian will, you know, certain things he's like, I know Sebastian gets it, right? He's, mm -hmm. but Jack will say, you know, he's 18 now and he's driving and he's like, mom, I'm good, I'm good. I'm a good driver. And yeah. Like, that's not really, that's not what it's about. And no, you're not. But um, anyway, that's, that's not the point. That's not, you know, but they're still gonna do that because they're male, they, they want, they need to be in, feel independent. You're their mom. They don't want you to have to be protecting them all the time because they're men. Yes. And, you know, so. Um, the question is, what do you, if they were early, what conversations? Because I know a lot of times people are talking about the conversations they have. So you don't want to, um, what is called emasculate them by saying, you know, be complicit. So, you know, you want them to be strong, you want them to be leaders, but at the same time, you want them to come home. So it's a, it's a tricky conversation. And sometimes little kids you think can't handle that. So. Yeah. And, and, and for me, it was, you know, when we went on family road trips, it was just me with them. Mm -hmm. And 
I would say things like, you know, if mommy gets pulled over, you need to keep your hands visible because I know as, and you know this, you have three sons. So if some, something looks like it might be threatening mom, they, ju you know, like they jump up and they want to protect mom, which is perfectly natural, but that can be the kind of thing somebody says, oh, well, that was, you know, he was aggressive. He was whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're threatening his mom or you're whatever. So I'd have those conversations with them. But when you, when you incorporate that, when you don't, you don't make it about fear. You don't make it about, about, um, being a pushover, whatever you make it about, like you said, here's how you, here's, here's what you can do to get home. Understanding that in some cases it's still not going to get them home. Yeah. Complying is still not necessarily going to get them home. And my cousin on Monday, when I interviewed her, one of the stories she shared, which by the time this, by the time this one airs, will have already been told. So it'll just be, be me going back. But her son, my, you know, he calls me Auntie Flo Flo, like everybody else does. And he, he's in the Navy and he's 30, oh Lord, he's like 35 now. She's, she's older than I am, I have to say. Uh, not that much older, but she, he's in the Navy and he got pulled over in Virginia where he lives. And the police officer said, he gave him his ID and everything. The police officer said, do you have a firearm? Okay, he's in the military. He says, I do have a firearm. The police officer said, where is it? And my nephew said, it's in the glove compartment. And the police officer said, okay, uh, can you get it? And my nephew said, no. He said, no. He said, I am okay with you getting it. I'm okay with, it. he said, but I'm not, I'm not pulling out a firearm while I'm being stopped by the police. He said, he said, no, it's in there. I'm not going for it. So if you, you know, if you want to, if you need to see it or whatever, you can um, not pull out a gun. And that's the kind of thing people don't just know, right? They're like, well, mm -hmm. the police said, hey, let me see your gun. Meanwhile, let me see your gun looks like, well, he pulled out a gun. Or if I'm trying to hand you my gun, even if you're not trying to hurt me or whatever, I'm trying to hand you my gun, something happens and then you're like, oh my God, you know, and it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. So preparing them for things, We'll never be able to prepare them for everything, but mm -hmm. having the conversations and like you said, yeah, emasculating them is not, I mean, it sucks that we even have to have the conversations. It, it really does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, be, because of everything that we're hearing about racial inequality and, and everything that's going on, we're also hearing people ask us, well, you know, I feel really bad about what's going on with black people and, and what can I do? How can I help? So if you were on an elevator with somebody and you had like 20 to 30 seconds to give them in a nutshell what they can do to help. And by they, I mean, obviously somebody who's not, who either doesn't have black sons or who isn't black themselves. In 20 to 30 seconds, what would you say to somebody who wants to know, what can I do to help? I think it's, it goes back to education again, educating yourself. Um, I did have a friend reach out to me, a couple of, you know, because I have a very diverse group of friends, and I've appreciated um, those friends actually taking the time to reach out to me and just get to know my perspective. Mm 
And at this point in time, I think one of the good things that I see that's coming out of this that might be a little different, I'm not sure I haven't, you know, I wasn't there during the civil rights time. I think that other races are starting to understand that um, they don't, they don't understand, you know, they don't, they never thought about it. Like my friend who asked me if I had to talk, she has two sons. We met when we were single moms back in the day and she met or whatever, but she doesn't have the same concerns that I have, but it meant a lot to me for her to call and just say, I really want to understand, you know, your perspective. She's in the corporate America. She was seeing some posts on Facebook that she didn't understand, like some of her employees or people that worked underneath her. And she just was like, I don't get it. I don't understand, but I'm willing to listen. So that's one of one of the biggest things is being willing to reach out and understand. And what I said, you know, one of the biggest things I'm saying is, and I think a lot of people are understanding is we were all kind of miseducated with history. I think our history was sugarcoated. I think there's so, so many misconceptions on how we were educated. I think we need to go back and read books and understand what really went on so you can understand a little bit of, um, of the history and where our perspective might be from. And I think that's one of the positive things that's coming from this is just having those uncomfortable conversations, but really trying to understand the perspective of an African-American mother with sons and understanding the history. Yeah, that's, uh, I agree. It's interesting. That is a, a, that, that so far appears to be a theme, the whole idea of, of education. And that is something you're right that I see coming out or it feels like this is coming out more <laughs> than it has in the past. Yeah, which is people's desire to, they'll never understand, they'll never be able to sympathize, but their ability to empathize because they have educated, you know, because they're working on educating themselves. And and you're right about the history that we're taught. I mean, there, there are things that we just don't know. Or that and even just for me, I'm just as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think coming out of high school, going into college and just really under, you know, learning African-American history and exposing yourself to more things, you're thinking, why didn't I know this before? You know what I'm saying? And you kind of feel, you know, now, you know, you're intrigued, but you learn so much more. And I think it was sugarcoated all the way up until high school until you get, you know, you get, depending on where you went to school. And I think that's why um, I think there, there's been complacency over the years and it's been controlled by the history that we've been taught. Absolutely. I like that. I love that. Somebody needs to write that in bold and underline it for me. <laughs> so, um, all right. So now we're going to get, well, I, I have a question for you that's not actually on, on the list, but you, you know, you, you and I lived in the, you know, you and I lived in the same neighborhood when I was in, when I was in Georgia and there are certain things that either because of the way we were raised. So you said that, you know, you were raised in a, in mostly white neighborhoods. I was raised in the white suburbs and, and there are certain things that we, even as black people in this country, don't quite, you know, you talk about the history that's taught in school. There's also what's taught at home and what you experience at home, right? Mm -hmm. So our experiences may have, I know mine were, most likely yours were, were different than the majority of the underrepresented black people that we talk about in this country. So 
we talked, and, and the other day this came up, the whole idea of, of privilege, right? So we talk about white privilege, which is definitely a thing. I feel like privilege is a thing, any race other than, than black, because in this country, the worst thing, quote unquote, you can be is black. That's like, you know, the, the low man on the totem pole or whatever, according to what we're taught. But there is a certain amount of privilege if you have a college education, if you have, you know, if you were raised in a household where, where there are two parents in the house or where there's a certain faith tradition or you go to certain schools or you speak a certain way, there is a certain amount of privilege. What do you think in terms of your kids and what they experience in their lives now and what is out there in the in the world for people who look like us so talk to me about what you think in terms of of privilege from that perspective so it's not a, a racial thing obviously they, they don't look white but based on their upbringing and, and what they've been exposed to what do you think about what they may face in terms of having grown up with that privilege I think um, I, I actually believe it's a um, it's a hindrance a lot a lot of times because I keep telling my boys it's like you're in a bubble when you get out of this you know North Gwinnett we are in a great community um, once we moved from Sugarloaf which was a great community and then we moved over to North Gwinnett they've been here all their life they've been well received you know I'm very involved with the PTA and things like that we're well connected. Um, my husband is a former NFL player. He went to Georgia. So in this environment, I think we are we do have a little bit of a bet advantage from privilege. I have seen a little bit of disadvantage, but because my you know husband is a former NFL player, the neighborhoods we live in, the school he went to, and our children have um, become outstanding. You know, they're they're very good good children, outstanding athletes. Um, I think they they have um, been shielded, you know, even though we try to go, you know, visit family and, and, and tell them, you know, I think it's not realistic. And when they get out in the real world, like I said, they don't take us as serious. So I think the privilege, um, I just think, like I said, it's unsettling to think, you know, we're, we think we're in one place. We think we have come a long way and then one situation can change it all. And, and that's part of growing up too. You know, we've all been there once we leave our parents' house and we're not exposed and we meet new friends and meet new people, be in situations. But I think, you know, really just um, them not understanding um, the dire situation of some families and some people and they just, they just don't even have a concept of it. They just really don't. Yeah, that's true. I, I will say that for me, that is one thing with me. I, the world I grew up in is, I, I did not, I was aware that I didn't know a lot of things, yeah. that I hadn't experienced a lot of things, but I didn't know what yeah. that was. I didn't know what that looked like. It's, it's. Yeah. And I think I was fortunate enough to be like, um, one generation away so we still went to the city and i saw my you know my grandparents and i had cousins so i still kind of even though we lived here i could go visit you know my grandfather and my grandmother and stay for the summer and still kind of understand that but as each generation gets better like even when my kids go to their grandparents house 
they're living in some similar neighborhoods. They're not seeing, you know, they're not seeing what even I might have seen as a child when I, you know, go to visit other relatives. So they might not understand that people live in a totally different, you know, situation. So you try to expose them to that as much as you can, you know. Yeah. And they, they, and they don't realize that the majority of people who look like you aren't living like mm -mm. this, no. aren't, you know. And that's one thing, and I know that that's something that people say, people say, and, and we have something about it in the speed round, but that, that people, you know, people talk about, you have people, like you said, you're one generation removed. There are people who are, who are the generation that is mm -hmm. what, your, what your mom was able to do. And people will say, well, look, people are, you know, they're, they're getting opportunities, they're moving up, they're doing this and that, but the majority, the, the vast mm -hmm. majority, of people don't even know what that looks like except when they watch TV and they see this completely far-fetched stuff you know not seeing what it takes to to get to that point so okay so now Rhonda you have survived so far we're gonna head into the speed round here and after the speed round I'm just gonna give you an opportunity if there's there's anything else that you want to, you know, that you want to say or that you want to share. I'm going to give Lucy and Carla an opportunity to just ask you if, if they have any, you know, a question from anything that you said, just to see if there's, if there's anything else that we can, you know, that we can add. So, so the speed round, like I said, these are things that people have either said to me or to my, to my face, okay, so that, that's important to know, right, that they've said these things to my face or that I've read, you know, somebody say on social media, somebody's comment, somebody's post, etc., or that somebody else, for the most part, these have all been actually, these have all been said to me. So speed round, what is the, the your, your response, your first thought when somebody says, well, all lives matter? Um, you know, I just think that they're just not trying to understand the point it's not we know all lives matter and that's you know that's common sense it's just making it you know making making the society more aware that um black lives really hadn't mattered in the past and we you know just focusing on that so i think you know there you know people always are trying to um you know, if you're trying to promote, you know, a lot of times in society, if you're trying to promote something, they see it as something negative towards them and it shouldn't be like that, you know? So that's that's some of the things that, you know, you're always trying to involve yourself in something. And it's nothing negative against any other race. It's just that you're trying to help someone that has not been the focus or the priority in the past. More black people die in abortion clinics than are killed by the police. Don't their lives matter? Yes. Look at her face. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, and that's, you know, that's one of the um, issues is, you know, medical care and the disparity, you know, the, the you know, health care. Um, and why is that, you know, so what, you know, why, why are they, you know, black people aren't the only ones getting abortions. This is true. This is true. And then, and then we have the highest um, mortality rate as well, in, I believe. After abortion or just in general? In general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's, yeah. There's no, um, yeah, there's no question there. And you're right. That is a, that is a healthcare thing among, among other things. So, Okay, the next one is slavery ended more than 150 years ago and the civil rights movement was decades ago. 
why can't you just move on? I mean, that would be nice, but society has not moved on. You know, we still have um, systemic racism and, um, and it's seen every day. So uh, we would like to move on, but society hasn't moved on. So until that day comes, we're just stuck in the same place. I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> uh, most people admit that slavery was wrong but it can't be an excuse forever. I mean, look at how you and other people you know have managed to achieve success. That's true to a certain extent. So we can't blame say, slavery, but it is systemic. And like we said, most of um, our African-American counterparts are not getting the same education healthcare, and there's so many other disparities in society. So just because a few have made it out, and just because we did have our first African-American president, doesn't mean we still, we still don't have a long way to go. And slavery lasted so much longer, and it was so, um, I mean, just, it's just education and understanding the, the toll it took on our generation, um, from generation to generation. It, it, you know, it's just awful once you read, you know, you read how they, um, how it was, it's just systematic and how they, you know, how, how it's affected us for years. Yeah. But I do take pride in that too, because based on, you know, one of the, the most overwhelming things that I tell my children, especially when they learn about this in, in history, is look how far we've come in spite of what they tried to do to us. So, you know, we are a very, um, we are very um, hardworking, diligent, and uh, di diligent race. So we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. And I'm proud of whatever our, our ancestors have done to get us this far in spite of everything that they um, tried to take away from us. Yes. Amen. The, because like you said, the generational thing, it took generations to get to a certain point. So it's not going to get fixed in in a year or even one generation and the things that were done like you said to break us down are they're spiritual you know it's and it's there's it's spiritual bondage in a lot of cases the things that they did to to black men on slave ships and stuff like that that doesn't just stop at that generation that gets carried on for generations and so there's yeah Good. Okay. So another one is so many people are suffering for so many reasons. Let's not forget that. So in other words, a lot of other people are suffering, you know, for other things, whether it's the pandemic or disease or, or, or job loss or whatever. So let's not forget that. And why do we talk about this so much? Um, I mean, I, I don't, like I said before, just because we're focusing on this or talking about this does not make, does not um, negate the suffering that other people have. And we're still suffering in other areas as well. So, um, and I think, you know, even with, you know, with the pandemic and um, I think the pandemic and everything that's gone on, we've, we've had a chance to sit back and, and because it was, a, it was a, just a perfect storm, the pandemic the health crisis, and then with the, the George Floyd thing, you know, people have had enough, you know, and you're sitting at home, people aren't going to work, you know, the economy's bad. So we understand this, but I think, you know, this just lit the fire to have this discussion. So people are aware, you know, there's so many people out there right now 
um, white, black, and everyone else that's struggling from the pandemic financially. And we understand that and we know that and we're suffering as well, you know? We're dying at higher numbers with this pandemic. So we do understand that as well. So just because we're having this discussion does not mean we're taken away from all the other um, concerns that are, that are happening around us. Good, good, thank you. All right, next. And this one, like I said, these, these things have been said to me and this, this was said to me face to face and it's important for you to know that it was face to face because you're looking at me right now. and I'm obviously a black person. Okay. Racism wouldn't be an issue if black people would stop bringing it up. You're keeping it alive by dwelling on it. Mm. I want to know what you said. <laughs> you you want to know what I said? I'll tell you. I'll give you give your response. Uh, I just think that's a very... Um, ignorant statement. I don't know what to say. That's very ignorant. It's not like we're, it's not like we wake up and say racism, you know, we face it every day and you're obviously out of touch if you feel that way. Yeah. So what I said in response, that was said to me, that was said to me immediately followed up by it. And it was said racism wouldn't be an issue if black people wouldn't dwell on it. And if they would stop talking that way, and your kids are fine because you're raising them to speak a certain way. And this is somebody who knows me and knows my children and everything. And I said, you know, the fact that you're saying that to me, and, and this is somebody I'm, you know, I didn't pull any punches with in, in, our, in our friendship at the time. And I said, you're, you're saying this to me. And I said what you said. I said that that is, that is actually an ignorant statement. And that the fact that you're saying this to me, you know, listen to yourself. The fact that you're saying this to me is in and of itself a racist thing to say because you're saying that people are dwelling on something. People are making it a thing. It's like it's in, it's in our imaginations. These things aren't really happening. And somehow the way people are treated, the things that people are, are talking about, the way, these, the, the way people are treated is somehow deserved which means that black people deserve to be treated as less than other races. Mm -hmm. And I, and I said, I said, and you know, when you talk about, they wouldn't talk that way. They, you know, it wouldn't be a thing if they didn't dwell on it. You're looking at me dead in the eye yeah. and I am they. And so mm -hmm. if that is an issue for you, then yeah. there, there's a bigger thing here that we need to talk about. So the, the now, do you think now this is a different perspective and I'm not trying to give anyone a pass, I'm not trying to give anyone a pass, but I've been thinking about this because even like you said, we grew up like I grew up um, when we moved um, probably elementary, we moved from the city to the suburbs. So I was like the only black girl in fifth grade, sixth grade and only had a few friends. And I think a lot of times they don't understand because if you're not exposed and you're not around black people, there's there's a lot of white people in the world who have not, I don't think they were raised racist and they don't know, but I just think they just don't comprehend it. I think they don't understand. If you're not exposed, how can you understand? You know what I'm saying? No, I absolutely. And the past series is to help because that starts at home, right? Like you said, if they don't know, what are they learning at home? 
and who usually does the majority of the teaching and the, the nurturing at home. And that's moms. And so we're hoping that we can reach moms who may not know what it is to be a black mom or to have black sons, or like you said, who may not even, they, they don't get it, but from the heart of a mother, they might be able to get it more to, you know, from the heart of a mother to the heart of a mother. The, it might be easier to understand. It's like, we're all speaking that heart language that mothers have, you know, that we were uniquely created to have. And so this kind of thing might help the mothers who are in turn raising their kids. So their kids don't grow up thinking, you know, that there's anything wrong with black, that there's anything wrong with being black or having black people around. And so hopefully this, this will, yeah. hopefully this kind of thing. Even in, I think it's the mother, but I think it's the educational system too. I mean, just Absolutely. like when, when, when we were taught about the Holocaust, they didn't sugarcoat it. And we all got it. It wasn't right what Hitler did. He treated these people unfair. They gassed them. They did this. They don't say that in school for slavery. No, no, they don't. But that's because for centuries, and even in even in the black community, you have to admit that the lighter skin you are, the quote unquote better, right? When babies are born and we're looking at the top of the ear and we're like, okay, how dark is he really going to get? stuff like that. So around the world, and this is not something that just started, right? So the Holocaust happened to people who were not that, you know, it happened to, to Jews, but it happened to Jews who were basically white Jews, right? We're not talking about from Israel. We're talking about Jews from, from Germany, from Europe, whatever. And so that makes it, makes it even worse. And it was done during a time when it wasn't the norm. Slavery was done during a time when it was the norm to go get mm -hmm. people and you conquer them, you call, quote unquote colonize them and you enslave them. You, you know, they did it, the Native Americans, I, I never knew this, that in Haiti, because my parents are from Haiti, that, that, and it should have, I mean, logically, right? There were uh, indigenous peoples there. Mm -hmm. And they were, the French came and tried to enslave them. But, their ability to handle that kind of labor was not where it needed to be. They killed them all off and brought in African slaves. I, I never, I never knew that. So many of the, so many civilizations, so many, you know, so much of the best stuff was built with African slave labor. So treating, so, so, so that the Holocaust happened and yeah, I mean, it was, and it was in quote unquote modern times, right? Mm -hmm. Which is one of the things that shocks me about what goes on now that people don't realize. <laughs> they don't look back at quote unquote modern times with Hitler and see any parallels in mm -hmm. what's going on in the world now, which is just shocking to me. Shocking. So, okay. So still going on with the speed round. <laughs> We, um, well, we kind of went over this one already. So, so when, when you, when somebody talks about racism and somebody says to you, really, when have you or your kids ever experienced racism? Um, we get it all the time. I mean, not all the time, but I, I get, I mean, I get it. We get it. I mean, even living in this neighborhood when we were, when Obama was running, everybody else could have their political signs up. Our political signs disappeared. Um, 
my husband, you know, he's been a retired NFL player. Um, he's been out of the game for about 12 years now. Now, when people come and show up at the door, they make comments like, oh, I'm surprised you're still in the neighborhood. Like we couldn't, like, you know, most, you know, they say, you know, they go broke after so many years and they can't keep wealth or manage money. So there's always little statements made, you know, underhanded statements, even in, in our, um, in our um, neighborhood or economic status. So, you know, there's always some, you know, but I, I think there's always ignorance out there and there's always evil. So a lot of times I try to just ignore it because I know the majority of the people are good. I think it's educating the ones that are not or, or holding the ones that are racist accountable. Yep, I agree. So another one is maybe if black people didn't break the law so much, this kind of stuff wouldn't be happening and the police wouldn't have to be so aggressive with them. <laughs> I mean, we all break the law. I mean, if black people just don't break the law, we just are put in the media more and it's more um, sensationalized. Like that. And uh, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorites, which, and this is not saying that people are bad people because they say it or whatever. I'm, I'm not, I'm not mad at people, but when people say, I don't, I don't see color. And I don't think that's, I mean, and I don't, you know, that's not the purpose is not to see color because you got to see color to appreciate and value other people's culture. So to say you don't see color, you, you're making a conscious decision not to see color at some point in time. I think we all have a diverse background. We have, we bring different things to the table. So that's just like, um, you gotta see color. Everybody sees color unless you're colorblind. <laughs> you know, like the rainbow, you know, everybody, I like green, you know, that doesn't mean I don't like the rainbow, so. Yeah, hmm. yeah. that's good. So I am going to. And I think that statement is people just use that just to make, I think they use it more to make us feel comfortable instead of them to say they don't feel comfortable. I think that's a politically correct statement that they thought somebody said they should say to make other people feel better. Yeah, but I also, there's a part of me just from, from years of, years of, of, of things that people have said to me that, so yes, on the one hand, you could say that to try to make me feel better, but why would you need to say that you don't see what color I am to make me feel better? Because acknowledging the fact that I'm black, does that, is that an insult? And, and I used to ask this, I remember when I was in high school, I used to, I used to ask this question. I used to, I used to say, why is it when somebody wants to describe somebody who's black, it, you can't say black, but you can, the person's black. Yeah. You know, everybody I went to school with was white. There's a crowd of white guys in, in blue L.L. Bean jackets on the quad, and you're going to point and say, oh, the one, he's darker, his hair is a little curl, the black one, because there was only one black guy there. Yeah. Just say he's the, it's not an insult. Yeah. Stigma that's been attached to being black yeah. is the reason people feel like they need to say, I don't see color. And what you yeah. need to understand is that color, like you said, it's not a bad thing. There are a bunch yeah. of, you know, colors out yeah. there. So. And they need to understand, even if you, and I think too, like I said, we can relate on this. They feel, they might not see you because once you become comfortable and you have the white friends 
and they see that you talk the same way as they talk and you have the same interest that they don't see you as the black people that they the stereotypical black person so they don't see you as the black girl they see you as them because they have a, they have an image of black and you didn't fit that and they don't understand just like all races we have different degree you know different personalities different characteristics among those different colors so that could have been meant by that as well because that you're not the typical black girl and so they don't and, see that yeah and and that's what they used to say but mm -hmm. now as the mother of black sons i and, and even when i was younger it, it bothered i realized that okay that you're trying to you know that's not okay because you see black people as this and you're just saying i can i can not see you like this because you don't do this 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 and this right so there's all the stereotypes and everything but as the mother of black sons i look at that and i think when my kid is playing basketball with his friends outside or when he's driving the car nobody's gonna know how he speaks the first thing they see about my child is not how he speaks it's not how he's being raised. It's not the color of his education, speech patterns, wardrobe, the church he's gone to. It's none of that. It's the color of his skin. And the thing that is going to get him killed, possibly, is just that. The color of his skin and what people have grown to equate that with. And mm -hmm. the thing that now, as, as a mother, that has to change. It has to change. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So now I am going to ask Carla and Lucy, do you have any questions you'd like to ask or anything that, um, not because we're trying to keep Rhonda forever, but just if there are any, any holes we need to plug? Yes. Well, not need to plug, but I'm just super curious about your background because you said you're uh you you guys have a funeral home business we do we do um my husband one of the things um you know i'm i'm, I'm married to a great guy so um one of the things that he wanted to do and, and knowing you know where he came from he grew up in um south georgia um lowndes county um and um, one of the things, you know, when he he had the ability to sign with the NFL and make lots of money was he wanted to give back to his community. So um, he has a cousin that was a mortician for years. So he went back. And so that's where our funeral home is. It's in Lowndes County. And he wanted to give um, give back and, and show um, young African-Americans that, um, you know, you know, the you know, once you leave your your um, your surroundings and your community come back and invest back into that and also set a good example to show that, um, you know, African Americans can own successful businesses. So we've had our ups and downs and sometimes, you know, we've had, you know, we want to also make it an ability for families that, you know, our family there and other people in the community to have an opportunity to earn money. We've had our ups and downs, but one of the things that keeps us going is just being that example of African, a successful African American um, business owner in that community. And it's, and it's, it's, um, it's a much needed thing. And, you know, African Americans have to see those examples that we are, we can own our own businesses and be successful and give back to the community. Cause that's the only way we're going to, um, move forward as a, as a, as a race too is being able to give back to our community and invest in our community as well. 
Absolutely. A little bit of a follow up on that. Um, I live on YouTube. That's my thing. Okay. <laughs> and I follow this um, this girl. Her uh, her name is Ask. Uh, her YouTube channel is Ask a Mortician. And about two months ago, she made a video with um with with I forget her name, but she she made a video and the title was Why Black and White Funeral Homes Are Still Separate. Now my like my question is like what what kind of stories what's something that like really stands out to you like during your experience of you know running this business um black sons anything that that we can just kind of gather from from your experience because i love to know you know your eyes you know and how, how you see things and it's a definitely a unique perspective yeah and, and it really is i mean we're um we're, we're the only, actually, and I can't even, I think there's only like four Black-owned funeral homes in Valdosta. And I think it starts from history. You know, I think it was already, it was already segregated from back in the day to where slaves had their own, you know, their own um, burial grounds and were treated differently. And then as, you know, we evolved, we had our own, um, we had our, you know, we had our own traditions and practices. And typically um, with the funeral home, it's really a word of mouth and tradition. So um, people want to bury their relatives. It's, it's a tradition. So like most of the time, even if I'm sure even in your culture, with whoever buried your mom, your dad, your grandparents, they typically um, go to the same place because they built a relationship over the years with them. And with us being a funeral home, we were actually fairly new um, for 15 years because um, one of the, uh, our, um, my husband's cousin who was a mortician, actually that was one of the few black owned um, funeral homes. And then as he had apprentices and they broke off, they kind of broke off and had those relationships. So really it's a relationship thing. And it's kind of funny too, because I was like, well, it would be nice to get a white, you know, funeral. And I think we might've had a few, but it's just something more traditional and people tend to um, use the, the same the same um, service, funeral home service that they've used over the years and you just establish a relationship. So most of ours are repeat business. Awesome, thank you so much. I never thought I'd hear the words repeat business. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense, right? Because yeah. 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 And a lot of times, like even with, you know, even with Lowndes County, most people go back to their, their, um, their home, their roots. So a lot of times, a lot of people have moved from, like we're here in the Atlanta area, but, and people move on to Michigan and a lot of people fly back and they wanna be where their their family plots are, things like that. So typically it's a traditional type of a thing. Yeah, yeah, like, like a church. So Lucy, I see that you are taking yourself off mute. You have a question? Oh, it wasn't a question. I was just gonna say that was just so interesting. I don't think I know, I don't know anyone um, in that business and I have never really thought about the relationship aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing, and it was something that we spoke with one of our, the other moms who has sons and daughters. And I believe you said that you have um, one of your kids, you do have a girl. Did I, I hear do. that correctly? Mm -hmm. um, is there anything when you were raising your daughter that you 
notice was very different from your experiences in raising black sons? Um, I mean, just boys and girls are totally different anyway, as far as personality and responsibility. <laughs> so, you know, me and my husband are like, oh, she's light years, because sometimes these boys' common sense is not there. But for the most part, I think, um, I, I mean, I just, for me, I worry more about my, my sons than I do my daughter, even though um, there's, there's different challenges there, but as far as for school and work, you know, um, she's been, it's been very uneventful, but for the boys, it's always something every year, something's going, you know, something, something's happening, but she's just a different, she's just a, a great kid. So, but, um, the boys, they'll give you a run for their money because they're curious, they're outspoken, especially my first one. I mean, that first one really, um, taught me a lot because he's not the, um, He's definitely not complacent. He's definitely not um, mild-mannered. He's going to speak his mind. Um, he's a former Marine. He was in the Marine Reserves when he was at Baylor. So um, a lot of times I had to, I really did try to have to talk him down more than, you know, um, um, more because a lot of times I'm like, if you could just be quiet, you know. And I think when he went off to college and he, you know, he traveled a lot more with us from California to Texas to Tennessee to Seattle, I think, um, I think the South really, it was an eye-opening experience just moving here from being in San Diego, you know, being in San Diego and, and, and even Texas, being in Georgia, I think was a, it was a big eye-opener for him on how you're treated and, and how you should, your, your demeanor and how you should be. So it, it, it was, it was for this, it's definitely been interesting and different raising the boys versus my daughter so far. Interesting. Thank you. And even for myself, I think um, my brother got way more trouble in, you know, even being in the predominantly, you know, white neighborhood, me and my sister never got in trouble. And my brother was always in trouble, but he was, like I said, he was rambunctious, but he stayed in trouble. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because, well, in schools, and this is a, a topic for another day, I guess, and maybe we'll do this in a, in a round table, but the, the discipline, the, the standards they use for discipline for for black boys as opposed to even boys of other races in schools is that is an issue the likelihood that a black boy will get detention or suspension or expelled the likelihood is a lot higher than it is for for girls or for other races so mm -hmm. that's so, all right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was nice meeting you, Lucy and Carla. And thank you. And I wish you um, the best of luck. So, Thank, thank you, you so much, Rhonda. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Through Their Mother's Eyes, Real Talk with Moms of Black Sons. We'll be back next week with another great conversation. In the meantime, don't forget to like and follow us and join the conversation on Facebook or Instagram.